Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Let's read it together. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amazing. I just love the book of James. It's so direct, isn't it? So, I mean, do we really need a study on favoritism or discrimination in a church like we have here in Gorton? Because really, we've got an amazing, we meet in an amazing building with the Oasis Centre who are all about helping the poor We as a church are all about helping the poor. We have uh, Vic, my wife, who's been all about helping the poor as as her number one under under the Lord since since she was born, I think. Then we've got Lizzie, we've got Nick, uh, others whose heart is just for the poor. So is this the word for us today? But I know it's for me. I know this word is for me. Because I know I still have a leaning within myself towards the things that James is talking about. And I think we all do, if we're honest. I I still have blind spots. So I'm going to look at three points today. But first, before I do, I'd forgotten about this picture. Just put the picture up there, if you can, for us, Pete. I should have started with this. So uh, that picture, um, that is actually, is that me? Or is... Well, no, it's my granddad, actually. I've never met this guy, but uh, he's an absolute legend. He used to live in Denton. Uh, and there he is on his motorbike. Lots of people say that looks like me. And there's lots of likenesses, I think, with the hairline. I mean, <laughs> kind of. And, um, and the eyes and maybe the, uh, the hook nose. 
uh, and other things also. But uh, it's funny, isn't it, with, um, with relatives, you, you, you do get uh, likenesses transferred, don't you? External likenesses, he, he was a tall guy, uh, but also internal likenesses. Sometimes you suddenly find out, especially when you get to my age, you find out, man, I remember my dad doing exactly the same thing as I do now, or the same, I, th- I seem to think the same way as my mum, and some of it's completely frightening. But it's true, isn't it? Because these things, as we look at pictures and maybe look in the mirror, we see likenesses to what we're used to or what our mum and dad were like. So we're going to look at three points today from James, and I've labelled them as the problem, the mirror, and the remedy. So the problem, the mirror, and the remedy. So what is happening here in James? What is the situation? So James is writing to uh, a number of churches who had been spread out from Jerusalem when they all left Jerusalem due to the persecution. Uh, And so this um, letter was really to a Roman-dominated culture where there were very few rich people, but there there were some who were very rich. But most people just got by. Uh, And then there were others who were incredibly poor. So the, the, the few rich there got there by heritage or by corruption, which is a very popular pastime. Uh, so think of the tax, collect, tax collectors like Matthew who made their money by collecting for the Romans and also pocketing a bit themselves. Same with the rich generals. So those were the, were the rich. They took their, they would take, say, Israel, they would go into the land, uh, steal people's fields, steal people's uh, possessions, become incredibly rich by force. Suddenly, due to the fast growth of the early church, there were these people, just imagine this, as I've been preparing this word, I've been imagining this mixture of people who were suddenly in this church. So there were the super rich, the average people, and then the super poor from all over, Greece, modern day Greece, Turkey, Middle East, Italy, And the rich Greeks, which going into that culture also, their attitude towards the poor was they just hated poverty. They thought it was a low thing and not to be even associated with. They thought it was debasing. They thought that their lives should be ones of leisure. In many ways, it doesn't sound too bad, does it? And the Romans saw the poor as of no use whatsoever and actually a threat to peace. So these poor must have been now in this church, in these churches, been rubbing shoulders with those people who they'd never even associated with, let alone spoken to. What a melting pot this was for these positions. And what of recent history? So James speaks to that time. What about now? What about us today? What about even in the last hundred years or so? I mean, it's, it's hard to talk about, isn't it? But what about the church in the south of the US who defended slavery and said that a sudden end to the slave economy would have a profound and killing economic impact on the cotton and tobacco trade, which would cause it to collapse if the slavery was taken away. Isn't that an amazing thing? That is a southern American church. Matthew Henry, which is a, who is a very popular commentator of the Bible, Uh, very respected, said in the late 1600s, as such as the churches along this road here, as these churches were being built, like St. Paul's and others in London, 
He said, look, and it's quite true, these churches take a lot of money to be built. Uh, so those who supply the money, in other words, the rich, those who supply the money should be accommodated accordingly, he uses the words, accommodated accordingly. In other words, they should be given prime positions in the church, such as, as we see, if you've ever been in a very old uh, or a Victorian era uh, Church of England, sometimes there are pews with people's names on. So these people would go to those pews knowing that, that they had purchased a pew, some with a door on to say that this is mine, stay away. It's interesting, isn't it, as humans, even as believers, about how we discriminate or how we try to be superior. I love it when I go to very rarely go to a business uh, and drive into the car park and you see, um, I, I really find it amusing, where, where you see a managing director's spot and then you've got the manager's spot and then you've got people who mean nothing get parked further away so they have to walk further to the front door. I find it hilarious, but the managing director only has to walk a few steps to get in his building. One of the subtle things that we do, maybe, 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 and it's quite common and pretty funny, but maybe someone of influence in the Christian world comes into our church uh, and uh, we hear that they've been checking us out to join us and this person is quite well known. Would we, it's a question, would we move heaven and earth to have them to be part of us so much more than if the person was just someone average like me maybe who was interested in our church? Would we put our extra effort into someone because they're someone of influence? That person would give us an, a new audience or a greater attention, would give, a high, give us higher exposure as a church. Yes, we must get those people in our community. I visited a church once a long time ago where after the church we all ate together and the leaders actually sat on a higher platform. And I questioned it and said, what's What's, why is that? Well, they're the leaders. And it was uh, quite troubling to think that. So they're, they're, they're a higher, higher realm of people. Yet this is common to humans, even believers. But all of these things display an inner attitude of the ways of this world that are foreign to the ways of God. So that's a problem. And I'm sure you'd all agree, it's not just we look out there and say, yes, naughty, naughty. It's in us all too, isn't it? If we think about it. So the mirror, that's the problem. What about the mirror? Why is James pointing out these things? Because if we are of the family of God, we should reflect his character. Again, James is asking us to look in the mirror Colin spoke about this last week, do you remember, in his bathroom when he said about wiping that steamy mirror to, to try and see. James is asking us again to look in the mirror to see whose family resemblance we recognise. Remember the picture of my granddad. Who do we recognise when we look in the mirror? I'm talking internally. Favoritism and discrimination are foreign to the ways of God. He does not have favorites. He has intimates, but he doesn't have favorites. And he's not moved by status or riches. How could he be when he's the one who spoke the sun to be in its place? God from the beginning, I love this. God from the beginning moves towards brokenness, the rejected, the forgotten. Deuteronomy 7.7 7 is a classic verse. 
Let's just read this together. It says, The Lord did not set his affection on Israel, on you, and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Isn't that mysterious? Why did he choose Israel? Why did he choose Abraham? He set his affection on them because they were small. Isn't that interesting? They weren't anyone. And then Paul talks about this again in another verse in the New Testament. He says, he didn't choose us because we were super intelligent or rich or uh, university educated. Far from it, he says, very few of you are. He chose us because he chose us. He chose Moses, who was weak in speech. He chose, well, Gideon. Do you remember the hilarious story of Gideon's army? was too big for the battle to fight against this huge army. So God said, look, whittle the army down. There's too many people. You're too strong. Not too weak. You're too strong. I want you to be weaker. David, the, possibly the greatest king of Israel, par Jesus, was small. He was rejected, forgotten about by his brothers. He was out on the hills, wasn't he, with his sheep. When Saul came to, um, sorry, Samuel came to pick the future king, he wasn't even there. And God, God knew about him, didn't he? God said, just wait, he's coming. Of course, then we have the perfect example of Jesus, sent from the heights of glory to a birth in a cattle trough and raised in a poor family in northern Israel, which was considered low. To those who recognize their poverty, no matter their wealth. So I'll say that again. To those of us who recognize our poverty, no matter how much we've got in the bank, those are the ones that God works with. So it's a recognition. It's a looking in the mirror to say, Lord, I am not rich, but in you I am. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? I've always, when I was first saved, I was confused by those words. Poor in spirit. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't come to me with all your great attributes. See that you are poor in yourselves and I can make you rich in the gifts and the glory of God. So why did Jesus say... When children were playing around him, we've seen lots of children this morning. When children were playing around him, he, put, he, he held one close to him and said, the kingdom of God is like these. Why did he bring young children to himself? Because they are helpless. They are messy, as we all know, as I'm starting to learn again with my granddaughter. They are weak, but they are trusting. They are needy, but they know they are needy. Yeah? My granddaughter believes I can provide anything for her. It's a great attitude to have. And I'll do my best to provide good things for her. And she comes to me and Victoria regularly for help. This is how we should be with our God. This is not a self-loathing attitude of how bad am I, but it's reality before an incredible God. Jesus wants us to recognize our state without him and not to rely on externals like riches, status, and upbringing as our standing in the world. Yet, this is how the world ticks, isn't it? It's all about status. 
It's all about riches. It's all about our standing, our outward appearance. But it's so opposite in the kingdom of God. Why don't we allow the Holy Spirit to show us ourselves? It can be a risky thing to do, but the great thing is the Holy Spirit is good. And when he shows us, he's gentle and does it over a period of time. But as we look in that mirror, we could say, maybe, maybe this is something you want to do. As you look in the mirror, not only do you look and get your hair straight like I do, but you could look and say, Lord, show me myself that I might rely on you more. Let us look in that mirror. So we've looked at the problem, yeah? The problem is that we as humans are bent on self-elevation. We've looked at the mirror where actually we should be reflecting God and be like him, be like his family. So let's have a look at the remedy. What is the remedy to all this? Well, what then is our rescue, our remedy, when we see these attitudes within? Because I feel them within. I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, you find attitudes like this within you too. James uses the word law many times, doesn't he? Towards, well, between verses 10 and 13, which is a really strange thing to do, isn't it? To go back to the law. In, in verse 8, in fact, he uses the word royal law in Scripture. Why would he use the word law? When Paul, in Romans, talks about the fact that we are now set free from the law because it's been fulfilled in Christ. And you may say, and rightly say, well, Jesus has fulfilled the law for me. I do not have to keep these laws to be right with him. But this is what Jesus said in John 14, verse 15. He said these beautiful words. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Isn't that amazing? It's like a litmus test, if you remember from school. A litmus test to see where you are at. It's a great test to see where you are at with your love for him. Are you keeping his commandments? And it's so different, isn't it? Because we think, well, I don't have to keep laws to to be approved by him. But yet Jesus said this. See, James, what he does is he turns Paul's teaching to another angle. He says, when you love God and see what he's done to rescue you, and all has been accomplished for you, when you see these things, what it will do it will cause you to love him more and show you the worth that you are to him. You will naturally, out of a heart of love, want to please him and do what he asks. I got the wrong end of the stick for many years when I was first became a believer. I looked at the Bible, I looked at Leviticus, and I thought, I must do all of these things to please him. Now I'm a Christian, I must keep all of these laws, because it says to, Ten Commandments. And I was doing it, or trying to do it, because I failed many times, as we do. I was trying to do it in my own strength, and it would cause amazing frustration. And yet, what James is saying is, because of his indwelling love and him and the Holy Spirit himself, he will, through love, cause you to want these things. That you will naturally do them because of love. You'll be inspired by love. 
you will naturally, out of a heart of love, want to please him and do what he asks. That's a totally different angle, isn't it? And not only that, but as the Holy Spirit is in your heart, you will have an inclination within you to do the things of God and love the way he does. Because the Holy Spirit is God. So when you have the Holy Spirit within you, his love will fill you if you allow him to. Isn't that amazing? That you won't be the power behind keeping law, rather the Holy Spirit who gave you that law in the beginning will accomplish it through you as you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We will slowly, and believe me, it doesn't come immediately, we will slowly begin to love what he loves and have a heart that he has. Because as we look in that mirror, we will see more of him and less of us. And that is to love God and love love our neighbour. Isn't that amazing? To love God and to love your neighbour, all the other commandments come and fit into place. Those two top commandments hold the others together. If you love God and love your neighbour, you're not going to murder anyone, are you? If you love God and love your neighbor, you're not going to steal. Why? Because I love God. I love God too much. I wouldn't want to upset him. Because I love God, I'm going to love my neighbor. It comes naturally, doesn't it? This isn't a tick box to make me a good Christian. This is an inspiration within us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that brings obedience out of love so not a tick box i used to think it was a tick box i used to fast and use it as a tick tick box to say as i start to recover after a long fast i'd say wow lord now you owe me kind of i wouldn't say it in my heart i'm being honest with you i would believe lord you owe me i've worked hard for you i fasted Lord, now answer my prayer. What was I doing? I was going into uh, something like fasting as a law and saying, okay, I've accomplished it. Because I've been obedient, you owe me. And yet, what would have been different, the correct way would have been to fast because I want more of him, because I love him so much. And there are no, there isn't a goal at the end of it. It's just to have more of him. So it's not a tick box. And this is to love God and love our neighbour. This brings freedom is what James is talking about. So a wonderful example of this in the Bible is from Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. Let's read this to us, to, to each other. So one of my favourite um, stories. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that, that town who lived a sinful life leaned, learned, yes, okay, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, 
he would have known who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And all the other guests could say was, who is this who is even forgiving sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So as we bring this to a close, look at this amazing story. This woman, we don't know she was a prostitute, but it's a possibility. This woman uses the tools of her trade to pour out on Jesus. She uses her perfume that once was used to attract men. She uses it now upon the Savior. She uses her hair, which was a sin in those days, to put your hair down. She wets it and cleanses Jesus' feet. She uses the tools of her trade upon Jesus. She saw her condition. Why did she do this, this reckless thing? She saw, she looked in that mirror. She saw her condition. She recognized her own condition. And then she recognized in the mirror also the Savior. And she poured herself out. The righteous men in that room, Simon and others, only looked in the mirror and saw themselves. And they were happy with what they saw. They didn't have a problem with themselves. They thought they looked good in their fine clothes. They don't need anybody else. They thought they looked good. They had no idea who they were looking at when they saw Jesus. They didn't recognize themselves. Do we recognize ourselves without Christ? Do we recognize his mercy upon us? Have we seen this problem within ourselves, which is still evident today? Who do we look like when we look in the mirror today? Again, I'm talking internally. Have we seen this great mercy over us? This is when we really start to praise God, isn't it? We don't praise God maybe because of our great talents or anything like this. We praise God and we truly praise God when we get to know what God has done. Doesn't that cause praise? This will melt us. This will cause us to be like him. Also showing great mercy to everyone else. As I prepared this word, I've, I've thought about some people maybe I've had a bit of a problem with who've done me wrong. And I've, I've, I thought my behavior has not been right in my heart. and I've got to change it today. 
because I looked in the mirror and saw my own condition. Maybe that's you today. To finish, the ultimate proof that this is God's heart for us all is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus came to this earth in shabby clothes. We talk about what James was talking about here, about this man who came into the church in shabby clothes. This was Jesus. He came to this earth in shabby, smelly clothes. He was the one who was sat on the floor at other people's feet. It's remarkable, isn't it? He was the one who gladly sat at our feet and washed our feet. He was rejected by the rich and the famous. He had no home. He set his eyes towards Jerusalem to be that sin offering for us. He became the burden bearer. The Almighty stooped low. He did this so that our truly shabby, smelly clothes could be exchanged for robes of righteousness. He was homeless. So that one day, just as John says in his gospel, we would have a place in the Father's house that he'd promised us. Isn't that great? He was homeless that we might have a room. He went low that we might go high. Do we recognize our weakness today? Again, this isn't to to put some heaviness on you, but rather for us to be truthful with ourselves, but then to cast our gaze to the Savior. He is our righteousness. He is our goodness. He is all things good. Do we recognize this today?